Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Nation to another revisionist history, a podcast series under the Core Four Podcast, which is under the GBB Podcast Network. You can find on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you find your podcast. Grizzly Bear Blues is a blog under SB Nation. You can find it on the web at grizzlybearblues.com or on Twitter at SB and Grizzlies. I'm your host, Parker Fleming. And with me today is none other than our site manager, the host of the GBB Live podcast, Joe Molinax. Joe, what's up? Not too much. You know, I I admire you, Parker. I really do. Because you, with Revisionist Gristory and even the core four that you do with Nate, and then uh, also at times Connor and, and Brandon, uh, you've, you've grinded along nicely, uh, when, when it comes to the podcasting, I think I've done okay with, with the pandemic and still writing podcasting is a challenge for me. I'm going to be honest. So uh, I, I apologize to those that are waiting for a GBB live. It, it will come eventually. I think that, um, we have enough content coming out the next week or two that maybe we can put a show together. Uh, but you know, podcasting, I've slipped a little bit since all this started, but you, you have carried the weight quite admirably parker so thank you for that and and thanks for having me back on to to discuss a topic that's near and dear to my heart and probably only my heart uh, among grizzlies media and fans for sure i won't get much into you know like i appreciate you saying how you admire me for trucking on with podcasting but i really won't get into that because i do want to dive into our revisionist history Something that holds near and dear to your heart and one that spites a lot of Grizzlies fans. <laughs> it makes them so angry, Parker. So angry. And it's the Jeff Green trade. Yes. So, furious. Shout out to Matt Hardlicka, who, who is just furious uh, still to this day. And Kevin Leip, too. They both, I think, you know, I, I have a good relationship with those two guys, uh, but I think they still hate me a little bit uh, for the debates that we had some five years or so now ago over Jeff Green. Dude, I couldn't imagine those uh, debates in the email thread back then. Oh, man. Yeah, the email thread uh, was pretty hot and heavy back in those days uh, when we had, like I said, the Lipes of the world and the hard lickers and, you know, all sorts of different writers that were a part of the site five years ago. I think I'm the only one that's left, uh, by the way, which is kind of strange. But yeah, um, you are. 
<laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I'm the cockroach that just won't die, the blogging cockroach. But, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of smart people that have written for this site. And I tell you guys that all the time. And, uh, you know, whether it's a Jonah Jordan, a Chip Williams, who I know you've had on this show in the past. Uh, Kevin Leip obviously works for the Daily Memphian now, like Jonah does. Matt Hardlicka is one of the best Grizzlies writers out there, and he does his own Patreon page. Andrew Ford, uh, up and down, and I'm sure there's folks that I'm forgetting uh, that, you know, have used this opportunity and this platform to their advantage as well they should. Uh, I think you and Nate and some of the other guys and gals will be the next ones to do that. But I do think that if you look back on this time in 2015, you know, I think what and we'll talk more about this as we go through the show, what dooms Jeff Green in the eyes of so many is what he was supposed to be as opposed to what he should have been. And that's understandable to an extent because of the price that was paid to acquire his services. But at the same time, through that lens, it, it kind of clouds the judgment of what he was as a Grizzly, because I know we'll talk about this. If you go back and look at his actual statistical output, he played some of the best basketball of his career while he was a Memphis Grizzly in that 2015 stretch run. It, it just depends on how he was used, and it depends on, obviously, the the way things kind of played out as that season went along. So Jeff Green gets a bad rep and I don't mind still being on that ship. Me and Amy, uh, who writes for the beyond the arc blog over the Memphis flyer. Now who was with all heart at hoop city at the time. Uh, she and I, we, we kind of ride the ship together and, and I, I'm going to stay on it until the thing sun- sinks. And it's probably already sunk multiple times by now, but I'm going to stay on it. Cause I don't think Jeff Green was that bad. And I still don't think that. Yeah. And so everybody, kind of knows the deal around that time the Grizzlies were in this thick Western Conference race and then this was when the Spurs were at the like on the downward spiral of their powers they were still really good but Duncan was getting old Tony Parker was getting old Monty Ginobili was getting old they just weren't the same team but in that Golden State Warriors rose up so did the Houston Rockets so did the Portland Trailblazers the Mavericks had a very formidable offense with the Chandler Parsons that we wanted to have, and then Dirk and Monte Ellis, to name a few. But the Memphis Grizzlies were in that race too. And honestly, up until like the last week of the season, they were around second in the West. Like they could have easily been a two seed, which would have been unbelievable. But they needed to make one move that could potentially get them over the hump and in the NBA finals because the West was wide open. And because Tayshaun Prince sucked. We can't forget that. Tayshaun Prince was bad at basketball. At that time, yes. At that time, yes. That is a fair way to put it. Yes, and they saw an opportunity to take Jeff Green from a Boston Celtics team that was looking to (laughs) dump players in exchange for assets, and they shipped out Tayshaun Prince, Quincy Pondexter, and then a first-round pick that's more than likely to convey this year for Jeff Green. And like you said, he had the best run of basketball in his career at that time. In 98 games, he averaged 12.6 points, averaged 4.4 rebounds, 1.8 assists, and his shooting splits weren't great. It was around 43% from the field, 33% from three, 81% from the free throw line. And when you think about it, he and Dylan Brooks are probably the best wings they've had since Rudy Gay, right? 
I would say so. And I do think that you have to pay Tayshawn Prince the respect he deserves when it comes to that Western Conference Finals run because he fit what the Grizzlies needed more than Rudy Gay did at that time, despite Nate Chester's hot take about how Rudy Gay being traded cost Memphis a championship uh, just as much as the Hashim Thabit pick, uh, which he was rightfully crushed for. Um, uh, It's a, a situation where Tayshawn Prince didn't need the ball to be effective. And the Grizzlies were at the peak of their powers. Mike and Mark were entering their primes. Uh, Zach Randolph was still in his prime or towards the tail end of it. They had a pretty deep roster. They didn't need a guy who could score on the wing at that stage as much as they needed someone who could defend, could facilitate, get the ball to those three other guys, Mark, Mike, and Zach, and let them work. And Tayshawn was more of a glue guy, and he fit that particular team. So I I don't question bringing on Tayshawn at all at first. But it became clear that Tayshawn couldn't play anymore, at least not to the level that Memphis needed him to as Zach started to age out. Even with Mark and Mike rising up, I think something, you know, revisionist gristory again, uh, you know, Zach's kind of decline really impacted the Grizzlies. And it made that glaring need for a wing more, uh, more evident, more visible. So Jeff Green was one of the guys available. Uh, the other main option at the time was Lou Aldang, and you talked about the shooting splits of Jeff at that time. Uh, Lou Aldang was roughly the same, probably a little bit better, I think it's fair to say. But Lou Aldang was an older basketball player. He, he wasn't what Jeff Green, in theory, and again, that always came down to the definition of, of Jeff Green's success and how you perceived him. The ceiling for Jeff Green was higher than Lou Aldang. So if you looked at the Grizzlies roster in 2015 and you saw the need for a wing that could score a little bit more, it wasn't the same as 2013 when you needed somebody who could just facilitate. You needed someone who could be more effective offensively. And they saw Jeff Green as a better option for that, whether it's creating off the dribble, whether it's the ability to you know, find his shot at the rim, in terms of physicality, the way he was built, again, the fact that Green is younger or was younger, there are reasons that Jeff Green made sense as opposed to somebody like a Luol Deng. But Luol Deng also would have been an acceptable option because he would have been almost a souped-up version of what Tayshaun Prince was in 2013. So to me, if you have a question about the Grizzlies making the deal for Jeff Green, I can hear an argument for why Jeff Green and not a Luol Deng, if that makes sense. What what I struggle with from people at times, especially at the time, five years ago, were the folks that said you shouldn't have made a trade at all because that team wasn't going to, again, you're at the peak of grit and grind. You, that 2014-2015 team was recently chosen by me and, and Mike Prada of uh, SB Nation, or Prada, excuse me, agreed and, and put them as the best Grizzlies grit and grind team to not win a title. Um, you know, that was your shot. That and the Western Conference Finals team. Those are your two best chances to get to the NBA Finals. They needed help. Tayshawn Prince was not enough. Quincy Pondexter was not enough. And Jeff Green was their best option, or they decided, if Luol Deng wasn't a realistic option. I believe at the time, articles came out saying that Deng was not on the table. Uh, They wouldn't have made that trade uh, for those assets for uh, the Grizzlies to acquire Deng. So it might be a moot point. If Jeff Green's the best you think you can do, the first round pick stings and it stings to this day, but at the same time, and we'll talk more about this in a moment, it it could have been rectified 
if you had allowed for things to play out the way they should have once you righted that perceived wrong. But I am not going to crush the Grizzlies front office for trying to improve on the wing. They needed help. They had Courtney Lee. They had Tony Allen. Those two guys could play. They needed somebody else that could score on their own, and they needed somebody that had size that could play multiple positions. That wasn't Courtney Lee. That wasn't Tony Allen. They needed somebody like a Jeff Green. If Luol Deng, either they wanted more for Luol Deng, I'm glad they didn't give up more, or Luol Deng wasn't on the table. If Jeff Green's your best option, I don't understand why accepting Tayshawn Prince and Quincy Pondexter is an okay reality given what the perception of that time period was. The Grizzlies were title contenders. You alluded to it, Parker. They were championship quality. That is what people thought. That is what Memphis sure as hell thought, and they needed help, and I think that that was the best way to acquire that help was through those assets at that time. Did it swing and miss to an extent? Yes, it did, especially beyond the 2015 season. That doesn't mean it wasn't worth taking the swing, given the fact they were in the the depths of grit and grind. Mm, I agree, and when you really look at it, like I talked about Jeff Farine's splits. When he was coming over from Boston – his production in Boston was similar to what you got out of Rudy Gay. He averaged about 17 points a season before that. I mean, he didn't have like efficient shooting numbers, but again, it was about like Rudy Gay, like 17 and five and two assists. And that is like perfect production of what you would have wanted between Mike Conley, Zach Randolph, and Mark Gasol. A and it's big amazing. wing that can score 17 points a game and shoot at least average from three. And if you have concerns about his defensive ability, which I think are fair, and you don't want to take out somebody like a Tony Allen and make Jeff Green the starter in that spot, there's evidence to suggest, and I talked about this in my series that I did on the best Grizzlies teams, that Jeff Green was a much better sixth man. If you started Conley, Lee, Allen, Randolph, and Gasol, assuming that there are no injuries, and Jeff Green's your sixth man, that's the ideal use of him. That's how he should have been used. And at times when he was most successful, especially in that playoff run, he was the sixth man. So a lot of our memory of him is driven by necessity or need at that moment because he was put in positions that he wasn't going to be most successful at. He was forced to be something more than he was capable of being. He's not a third option or he wasn't a third option. He couldn't be. So if you are without Mike Conley, as uh, as the Grizzlies essentially were, aside from that one amazing return game against the Golden State Warriors, look at the rest of those stats. Mike didn't play well beyond that game. If Jeff Green's supposed to be your third best player, you're not going to beat the Golden State Warriors. Of course you're not. But if Jeff Green could be your sixth man and, and he can create matchup issues for that Golden State bench, there's potential there. So with Conley hurt, Tony Allen eventually out, you're asking Jeff Green to be more than what he was capable of being. You know, and look at Rudy Gay. When Rudy Gay has been at his best since leaving Memphis, especially as a member of the San Antonio Spurs, it's as what? It's as a reserve. Because Rudy Gay is able to score and play against lesser reserve bigs and wings that he can play with and not be as much of a liability defensively. If you compare Jeff to Rudy in that way, I think that's fair. So a lot of what people perceive Jeff Green as is because of what Jeff had to become and not what he perhaps was meant to be by that coaching staff, by that organization at the time. 
you know, again, Courtney Lee and Tony Allen were the starters on the wings for multiple playoff games and multiple games through that last stretch of basketball. It was a it was a move to strengthen the wing, not necessarily push Courtney or Tony out. And because of the injuries that occurred, you asked Jeff Green to be more of a focus on the offense than he's capable of being. And that is where the issue came in, in addition to what you lose with Jeff Green in the lineup and Tony Allen out of it. Mm hmm. You really hit the nail on the head as to why his tenure in Memphis is very negative. Well, when he's polarizing in general, right? Because yeah. the the uh, what's the best way to put it? I don't want to say nerds because that's not fair. Because I respect people a lot that think this way, but a hard like a life. The folks that and I've become more of this type of a thinker as time has gone on. If you look at the advanced numbers on Jeff Green, giving up a first round pick for him is absurd. Like I understand the argument better now than I did five years ago. You look at what he, what his ideal role would have been, and unless you truly think Jeff Green's helping you get to the finals, which I did, and that turned out to be wrong, uh, maybe it doesn't make sense to give up a first-round pick, and folks weren't as bought into what Jeff Green could have been. My argument now, and it wasn't as much then as it should have been, is that Jeff Green was not allowed to fully be what he should have been. I wrote an article saying Jeff Green is the answer. That was wrong. The, the answer to the question was, how do you replace a starting wing like Rudy Gay? And he wasn't that. That's where I was wrong. What he was the answer to was being a leader of a reserve unit that desperately needed scoring and allowing him again to be like Rudy as he moved on to the Spurs and other teams and being that reserve and and creating for himself and others off the dribble and and taking advantage of mismatches against lesser players. He wasn't able to do that. So Jeff gets a bad rep because, in fairness, his numbers uh, to an extent are not friendly. But again, if you're not so high on his advanced numbers and even his basic shooting splits, his best basketball that he played aside from, I think, a season or two in Oklahoma City was with the Memphis Grizzlies. So he was an upgrade from Tayshawn Prince. He was an upgrade from Quincy Pondexter. He did those things that he was supposed to do. It's the environment around him that sort of collapsed and led to his flaws being magnified perhaps more than they should have been. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of unfair to put all these flaws on Jeff Green as to why that team didn't reach the hump to make the NBA Finals and potentially win a championship. I mean, the biggest... I mean, we did a revisionist history on this with Anthony Sane if, about a month ago. I mean, Tony Allen and Mike Conley were hurt. They were not healthy against the greatest backcourt that has ever played the game of basketball. You can't beat that without a healthy Mike Conley or Tony Allen. You're not winning when your best shooter, Courtney Lee, is only shooting three threes a game when he should right. have been shooting about five or six. And sure. I think the rest of the bench, yeah, you had Jeff Green. Who who else was there? You had Costa Kufis, who he was a very good big man, but very offensively limited in terms of his skill set. He was really only serviceable for garbage buckets and baby hooks in the paint. And then you had Nick Kalaitis, Bina Udre. I, I, don't, I honestly can't even ring a bell on the rest of the bench, to be honest. He was meant to strengthen that bench. That was the reason he was there. And again, there's evidence to suggest that that would have been successful. He, he was asked to be something more than than he could be. And I, I'm not sure that they could have gotten more for that package. Again, the future first. 
was attractive, but it was protected pretty heavily. I mean, again, we're sitting here talking about it now, five years later, finally being conveyed. So you, you look at the the future first that they lost, which is the most valuable piece of it. Tayshawn Prince was not a good basketball player. Quincy Pondexter may have been a little bit better, but they were roughly the same. Uh, it, to me, it was fair value in terms of, like you said, the, the Celtics wanted to acquire assets. And that's what they got. They got a first round pick. That was the thing they were most interested in. I think that we we have to look at it through the lens. And in fairness to Jeff, I think people like me made it worse for him because we saw him in a way that wasn't fair to him. It should have been more. Here's a guy who adds depth at a position that desperately needs it. You take out a coupon, you take out a Tayshawn Prince, you replace it with a Jeff Green. That's an upgrade. That's an upgrade in terms of offensive production. That's an upgrade in terms of adding minutes to a superior offensive, especially player at that time. And it, it never should have been off. Oh, finally, we have the Rudy Gay replacement. This is the guy. And like I said, I was part of that problem. So I think where I was most wrong was viewing it through that prism, that lens of seeing him as something that he couldn't be. And, and I think that the Grizzlies didn't necessarily see him as that because, again, even though they started him as a starter, I believe they did kind of realize that he might be best served as a reserve coming off the bench. And when he did that, he had success. Now, how willing was he to do that long term? I don't know. Was there a dissension behind the scenes? That's something I wasn't privy to, even though I was I think that was the first year that I had come back from Memphis the year before I was covering them in the playoffs. I was at the playoff games as a media member. So I was a little bit more, more tuned in at the time to the roster uh, than I am now in terms of talking to folks in the organization, that sort of thing. Um, I, I do think that we need to, even though Jeff Green is not what I thought he was and others thought he was, that doesn't mean he was a bad basketball player or that it was the massive mistake that some people think it was because it wasn't. At the end of the day, what is that pick probably going to be? The 13th or 14th pick in the draft? And it worked out that it's one of the worst drafts in NBA history, right? It's even worse than people thought it might be uh, a year ago. And obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic. You could have predicted. You couldn't have predicted any of that. But, you know, that's the thing about taking these chances. You swing, sometimes you hit, sometimes you miss. I don't think it's the strikeout falling on your face that other people do. I think it was a worthy attempt. You you sw- you struck out swinging. You lost a pick that obviously you'd rather have. It costs you flexibility down the road to make other deals and do other business. But you thought you were a championship contender. Jeff Green was better than the sum of Quincy Pondexter and Tayshawn Prince. I still to this day think it was a worthwhile attempt, even though I think with the benefit of years, I see what he should have been instead of what I thought he was. And that helps me even further rationalize it now, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And I can even see the potential decision, the little friction between, you know, Jeff Green and the rest, the whole situation, because you had this G and G team that, They've had playoff success. I mean, they had reached the Western Conference Finals, and they were probably one shooter away. Heck, maybe if they had acquired Courtney Lee a season earlier from actually making that a series. And then you get this guy in, and they're like, oh, this is the answer to help us win. Right. And you're like, okay, we, we've we been doing this. We're close. Like, let us do this. You know, I could see something like that. And that existed. That that happened. That I am fairly sure was a thing, especially between Green and Gasol, because Mark and I'm sure obviously, you know, this Parker, but anybody who's listening who's maybe younger, uh, 
Gasol was very much a you play basketball a certain way and still is that way. He's still in the league, but uh, he, he's beyond his prime now. He was in his prime then. And Mark, when he views the game, he sees it as you make this pass, you make this decision, you do things this and that way because it's the right way to play the game. That's not Jeff Green. And even as a supporter of Jeff Green, I'm not going to make that argument. Um, it wasn't always beautiful basketball, the choices that he made. His decision-making process was not clear and concise, and that's probably a friendly way to put it. So there was tension there. There certainly was. And I think that's eventually what led to Green's departure. And that's part of what, beyond the 2015 season, really leaves a bad taste in the mouths of people, not just the on-the-court product, but the dissension that – uh, was created off of it because of that differing style and and the lack of perspective, to be fair, probably from Green. But we also know Mark can be a bit of a handful at times. And those personalities clashing didn't help matters either. And don't forget uh, Mr. Passive-Aggressive, Dave Yeager. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But I think Dave Yeager, again, he, he probably at first saw it as a worthwhile attempt uh, it it didn't work long term. And again, beyond that 2015 run is where Jeff Green really kind of fell off a cliff. And I think that's where resentment kind of built up. Like, this is the guy we traded for. This is the guy that was supposed to be our quote unquote savior on the perimeter. He, he wasn't that. Uh, th- and I do believe all that kind of added up to make the perception of what Jeff Green was as a Grizzly worse than it actually was am i saying that he was great as a grizzly hell no he wasn't great but was he mediocre <laughs> uh, yeah i think mediocre is fair to say to slightly above average below average at times and again when you look at jeff green's overall career considering what he overcame with his heart surgery early on in his career considering all of the different aspects that led him to being moved from team to team And when you look at the old school philosophy of basketball, Jeff Green was one of the earliest litmus tests of advanced analytics versus the eye. You watch Jeff Green as an athlete. You watch him run. You look at his frame. You see the way that he plays basketball athletically. You're like, hell yeah, I want that guy on my team. He's going to be a monster. But your eyes didn't always fully see what Jeff struggled with in terms of scheme what he didn't fully comprehend in terms of IQ offensively, especially, but defensively as well. There were issues there that really prohibited him from being able to fully take advantage of those athletic gifts. And I think that's the reason that you see, you know, Jeff Green struggles, especially at the end of his time in Memphis, and they still get a first round pick back for him. They got another first round pick back. So Memphis could have fixed the problem in theory. They, they could have made up for the first round pick that they lost and, and kind of rectified the wrong. Oh, and by the way, they get Lance Stevenson as well, who becomes a cult hero for some in, in Memphis in terms of the way that he played. And it, it could have been all's well that ends well because they could have made up for the asset that they lost if they had just sat on that first round pick. Yeah, and I do actually want to talk about that trade package real quick. The one that they got for Jeff Green, or yeah, the one they got for Jeff Green. Lance Stevenson, he almost like saved that season because that was the 28-man season. Everything They looked like a G League team out there. It was Zach Randolph, Tony Allen, Matt Barnes, Vince Carter at his worst that we've ever seen him, and then a, a bunch of G Leaguers and Reclamation Projects. And then you had Lance Stevenson just causing a ruckus. He was making... F- Grizzly games fun when they were missing 
Mark Gasol, Mike Conley, a good Mario Chalmers. They were missing a lot, and then they had just traded Jeff Green and Courtney Lee. They he made Grizzly games fun. And he you're right. He kind of did become a cult hero. I actually bought a shirt from Memphis City Design. You know the bootleg. Absolutely. No, we've done Memphis. stuff with them before. They're a great company. Mm-hmm. And they came out with the Dirty Lansing shirt after Dirty Dancing, and I bought that shirt immediately. Like I loved the guy. And then you mentioned too the first round pick. Gosh, if they would have just cut that first round pick, they flipped that for Deontay Davis and Roddy Tigoratch, which Chip and I talked about on the pod last week. It was a disaster. That pick could have been Matisse Dibel. So right now you could be looking at a potential five of John Morant, DeAnthony Melton, Matisse Dibel, Brandon Clark, and Jaron Jackson Jr. Good luck scoring on those guys. I know. And they all would have fit alongside Jaw too. Like it was perfect. Yeah. No, I I think that is something that really gets lost in this because Jeff Green's so polarizing. And for the reasons that we outlined, I understand. I I'm I'm content going down on the sinking ship, as I mentioned before. I get that no matter what I say or what I do, Jeff Green is never going to be viewed positively as a member of the Memphis Grizzlies. But again, they got the pick back. Like they got it back and they got a player in Lance Stevenson who have nothing else. And you said it very well, Parker, at least he was fun in a season that sucked. At least Lance Stevenson was fun to watch and he was able to take over games in a way that you didn't anticipate him being able to do. So you really got to enjoy at least that possibility of craziness in addition to some pretty inspired play offensively at times from Stevenson and that team if nothing else, was fun to watch, especially towards the end. Maybe not the playoffs because they kind of got put out of their misery. But in terms of the regular season and the end of it, there were games that were legitimately enjoyable, even though they were really bad at basketball. And and that's, you know, at, at that time, that's all you could have asked for. But to take that pick and to trade it for the opportunity to take two guys that did not help your team at all, you know, even if you take out the thigh bowl possibility, and obviously there's up and downs and all sorts of different things that could have happened that could have led to them having another bust with that first round pick. But to me, that's just further example of squandering assets from the previous administration and not being able to realize, okay, Jeff Green, we swung, we missed. You know, even if we're being very optimistic, Jeff wasn't what we hoped he would be for a variety of reasons. And now we have to try to get something back. You got something back. It worked out. And yet you you still decided, you know, Deontay Davis, it's kind of hard to, to hate on them for because he was projected as a lottery player, a late lottery talent in terms of what he was physically able to do. So he was right. there in the early second round. On one hand, you ask, why did this guy fall so far? On the other hand, he, again, kind of like Jeff Green, right? He has the frame. He had the look. The physical ability appeared to be there. Roddy Zagorak was somebody that they said, hey, we scouted this guy overseas. It screamed John Hollinger, right? And you you just assumed that this guy was going to be good because of the, the, uh, the ability to build from an analytical standpoint that you thought that that section of the front office had and it just didn't work out obviously and now you you've given up another first round pick for lesser players than Jeff Green so all of this brings you back to the point of what 
really stands out in your mind about why Jeff Green was such a net negative for the Grizzlies? Is it what the return eventually became? Because that's not Jeff Green's fault. Is it what was given up for him? Because that's what the market dictated. I don't necessarily see the Celtics giving up Jeff Green for anything less than what was sent their way. Again, Prince and Pondexter were not good. They were not good at that time. And Jeff Green was at least a serviceable NBA player. So you were upgrading just in terms of even if you assume that Jeff Green is an average to below average player, which a lot of his statistics would suggest he is, he was average with the Grizzlies, that's better than what they had. So what aspect of Jeff Green's time in Memphis really frustrates you? I really think that a lot of it connects to what you hoped he would be, what we thought he would be, what he wound up being, and how even after all that, they still didn't achieve the goal that they had. And a lot of that was outside of his control because of injuries and because of the other things that were going on. But so much of it is around Jeff Green, and it's centered on him because it's easy to scapegoat. You know, it's easy to find one guy and say it's his fault, he's the problem, that's why things didn't work out. It it simplifies the narrative. And as you know, Parker, in your time doing this, people love narratives, right? I'm one of them. You know, it, it simplifies things. It helps you better understand it. It creates a nice, tidy story. Jeff Green being a failure as a Memphis Grizzly is a nice, tidy story. You put a bow on it, you wrap it up, you ship it out. That's not fair to Jeff. That's not fair to the idea of what that team was trying to be. And it's not necessarily fair to the context in which he came into Memphis and he played in Memphis, despite the fact he still played some of his best ball of his career while he was a Grizzly. So I think a lot of the negativity that surrounds Jeff is not necessarily his fault. And it even connects to the result, uh, what they got in return for him once they did decide to ship him out. And the fact that they bungled that too, the whole process surrounding Jeff was average at best, uh, disaster at worst. And if you fall somewhere in the middle, that lands you at failure. And I do believe that that is what really is the legacy of Jeff Green, unfortunately. Yeah. And I think one of the things that will define his legacy as a Grizzly, and it's something that we'll close the show with, is that pick that is now conveying this year. And knowing that the package was Tayshaun Prince, Quincy Von Dexter, and a future pick, I want to ask you this series of questions. A, with that pick, could have there have been a better player than Jeff Green that you could have gotten for that package? And if so, like, who would have been an ideal target? And also B, with it conveying this year and with all this uncertainty and the strength of the draft class, right now it's slotted at 17 which is the territory for like Isaiah Stewart from Washington, Aaron Naismith from Vanderbilt, and Nico Manian out of Arizona. Knowing that it's going to be somewhere in that range as opposed to potentially like a Kay Cunningham or a Jalen Green next year, that eases your mind on the trading, makes you feel a little better about the swing and miss here, right? It should. Uh, uh, to answer your first question, we talked about Lou Aldang a little bit uh, at the beginning of the show. I think you could argue for Dang. I think there's logic there. He was older. Memphis probably said if Jeff Green hits and it works and, and we're a title contender and we're playing in the Western Conference Finals again or we're playing in the NBA Finals, God forbid, we're going to want to resign this guy. And his prime would have fit alongside the primes of Marcus Gasol and Mike Conley, similar to uh, the other name that maybe we shouldn't mention, Chandler Parsons, uh, Jeff Green was Parsons before Parsons was, right? He was the guy that was supposed to be that bridge, so to speak, and be that next man alongside 
Mark and Mike. So I think that they saw it as an opportunity to acquire that kind of talent. So they they were trying to be long term when maybe they shouldn't have been. If you liked Dang's game and the way that maybe he was an upgrade on what Tayshawn Prince was, even back in 2013, you know, Dang didn't need the ball to be effective. He didn't need it in his hands. He didn't he didn't stop the ball like a Rudy Gay would have or or even a Jeff Green to an extent does. Uh, he, he would have been an intellectual basketball player that would have fit in terms of scheme and the mentality that Marcus all wanted to play with. I think you can make a logical argument for Dang uh, if you wanted to. Now, was he on the table? No, I, all reports were that he wasn't, especially for the package that Memphis offered. So that should negate that argument if that is true. But I think Luol Dang maybe could have been a better option at, over Jeff if the if both guys were on the table in terms of trade. If the Grizzlies chose Green over Dang, I think that would be their biggest mistake. But uh, there's no evidence to suggest that that happened. Uh, on the other end, and we talked about this, it's so hard to project that, right? I, I'm not going to give Chris Wallace credit for thinking that the 2020 draft, when all these kids were in, what, eighth grade or, or something like that, was going to be super weak, and we're going to protect this pick this way in, in a certain fashion to give it to the Celtics on the worst possible draft that they could possibly get it. I, I don't think that's fair. But at the same time, all's well that ends well, right? Uh, it's going to wind up being uh, the 17th, 16th, 15th. Worst case scenario, if the Grizzlies collapse whenever the season resumes, if it resumes, and they're you know in the bottom end of the lottery, they either move up and they're in the top four again and they pick another elite talent in theory. Again, you may not want to win the lottery in this draft or they convey it and it's a 13th or 14th overall pick. You know, That's not the end of the world as opposed to, like you said, if the Grizzlies fall off the map in 2021 and they miss out a shot on a shot on a Kane Cunningham or a Jalen Green or something like that, that to me would be the bigger disaster. So if it works out that they convey it this year, you essentially gave up an, a likely outside the lottery first round pick, Tayshawn Prince at the end of his rope, and Quincy Pondexter, who at best was an overachieving role player for your 2013 Western Conference final Memphis Grizzlies. You give all that up for a guy that you thought legitimately gave you a chance to compete for a championship. I'm not going to hate on him for it. I'm not. You could argue that Jeff Green was never going to be that guy. I think that's a little bit unfair, depending on the role that he was going to be in, especially given the hindsight of years. But I I don't see the dramatic hate for Jeff Green being warranted based on, first, the opportunity that they had with him compared to Prince and Pondexter on the roster, even if Dang was an option. I think there's a debate to be had there. You could say Luol Dang's better, and I think I'd agree with that. But there's no evidence to suggest, like I said, that he was on the table. So you take Dang off the table, Green's the best option, and at the end of the day, you gave up Coupon, Tayshawn Prince, and the 17th or 16th overall pick in this draft. Okay, I think I would go back and do that trade today. I think I would do it again just because of the possibility to upgrade at the wing position. If you stay healthy and Jeff Green's your sixth man, I said it in my article that I wrote about that team, the number one team, in my opinion, of the grit and grind era. You can't tell me they wouldn't have beaten Golden State. If Conley was healthy, if Allen was healthy, if Courtney Lee was able to be that starter, you have Jeff Green as a sixth man playing 26 minutes a night off the bench. They beat Golden State. And you're never going to be able to convince me otherwise. And if they were able to do that, you roll out a ball, you see what happens. And, and maybe we're talking about the Grizzlies making the NBA finals in that season. But the, the, the situation that evolved around him led to that not happening. And I think that that's unfair in terms of what his legacy as a Grizzly is going to be.
Absolutely. So basically, put everything together. Appreciate Jeff Green a little more. A little more. And to be honest with you, it can if you see him as an average basketball player, which is what I see him as, see him as an average Memphis Grizzly. Because that's what he was. He was an average Memphis Grizzly, especially during that run that he was specifically acquired for when they thought that they had a chance to compete for a championship. He was not the answer. I was wrong about that. He was the answer to a different question. Is this a guy that can make us better in terms of strengthening our wing depth, providing a score for a reserve role, which is what ideally he should have been? Again, that's not what he was acquired to be, and I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that. But once they figured out he was best as a sixth-man type, if they had stayed healthy, it would have worked out in a heck of a lot better way for Jeff. But circumstances didn't allow that to happen. So hating him is unfair in my opinion. Feel meh towards him if you want. I think that's fair. And once this pick conveys and it winds up being a guy that, you know, maybe is in the league for the extent of his rookie contract and then drops out or turns out to be a, a middling NBA player for seven or eight years and then is gone. Maybe this will, you know, time heals all wounds, so to speak. But for me, I, I don't view Jeff Green as negatively as a lot of people do. I don't think it's fair. And, and I think that if you really revisit what he did well for the Grizzlies, especially in that run, where they were supposed to be an NBA Finals contender until the injuries happen, you come to that conclusion as well if you're unbiased. Yeah, I agree. And Joe, that's about all the time we have, but let the people know where they can find you and your work. Absolutely. Well, as you mentioned, I'm the site manager of the blog that you're the associate editor for, uh, SB Nation's grizzlybearblues.com. Even with the pandemic, we're still grinding out work. I've got an article out about trade targets for the Grizzlies. Uh, the Indiana Pacers, Denver Nuggets, things like that. When it comes to Kyle Anderson, you did a great job looking at the future of free agency. So we're still putting out content over at GBB. I know it's a weird time and and it's hard to, to put out articles when there's no basketball being played, but we're doing the best we can. Uh, so follow me on Twitter at Joe Mullinax. You can follow the blog at SBN Grizzlies and uh, grizzlybearblues.com. We're going to keep putting out content almost every day, even during this pandemic. Uh, try to keep things as normal as possible over there. So thanks, Parker, for having me as always. And uh, and we'll have, have you back on GBB Live here soon. Thank you, Joe, for coming on with us. And you can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Be sure to turn tune into the last Revisionist Grizzly we had. With Connor Dunning talking about the possibility of the ping pong balls landing in the right spot for the Grizzlies to get LeBron James. Turn, yeah. Tune into that. That's a fun conversation. That would have been awesome. It would have been amazing. You got to listen to it, Joe. And you're going to find me and my work at grizzlybearblues.com. I'm still trying to put out content. It's, it's kind of tough, especially when we don't know when or what an actual offseason is going to look like either. So got to stay content for that as well. But it'll be all good. Everybody stay safe, stay at home, do your part in social distancing, and be good to your neighbor. Other than that, that's it. 